Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of the FT Advisor podcast. I'm Damien Fantato, the Deputy Editor of Financial Advisor. Four years ago, when we had time to discuss pension policy rather than the minutiae of customs deals, the small matter of pension freedoms became reality. Joining me to discuss the impact of these reforms are Steve Webb, Director of Policy at Royal London, and who was formerly Pensions Minister. Hello, Steve. Hello there. And Al Rush, Principal at Echelon Wealthcare, who has become something of a pensions folk hero recently because of his involvement in the uh, British Steel uh, debacle. Hello, Al. Hello, how are you doing? I'm very well, thanks. So it's been four years and a couple of weeks now since we've had um, pensions freedoms. What's the key lesson um, for you from from the past four years, Um, Steve? I think in a word, well, it's more than one word, made popularity of pensions is the most amazing thing. I can remember not that long ago, you mentioned to someone you worked in pensions and you could clear a room. And now people really are engaged. I mean, literally on Friday, I met somebody who said, I hadn't seen for a long time, and she said, oh, I just wanted to say, because of those pension freedoms, my husband and I decided to cash in one of our pensions we've helped four children get a start on the housing ladder we couldn't have done that without those pension freedoms it's transformed our lives and you know yes there have been flaws and I'm sure we'll come on to those but the idea that people now own their own pensions have choices to make about them and can flex them to a, a way that suits them seems to me a profound change and gives us long-term hope for pensions. Al I guess you're someone who's on the on the, at the cold face of those um, freedoms and choices uh, would you agree? I think so, yeah. Mainly, I think people are now far more engaged with retirement. People never used to think about retirement before they would have a state pension or some sort of defined benefit pension. And now they have to think about it a lot more. Because they have to think about it a lot more, they think, right, what can I do with my time? So they are a lot more engaged. I think, along with that, and Steve touched upon this point, I think a lot more people are a lot more worried now because they realise that they don't have enough to keep them through retirement and they do have to make more choices. Um, but again, I agree with the point Steve made five years ago. If you said that you worked in pensions, you were a pariah. Now people raise their eyebrows and go, oh, that's interesting. Tell me, what do you think about this then? Um, so I think, generally speaking, it's positive because people are now engaged so much with, with the final third of their lives, and that's got to be a good thing. Mm-hmm. This sounds all all very positive, um, but there are, have been concerns raised. Um, the FCA has been uh, raising some concerns about, for example, uh, people going to non-advised drawdown, the amount of money that people are holding in cash. Is, is there an element of um, the freedoms being still a work in progress, do you think, Steve? Certainly a work in progress, yes, I'd agree with that. I mean, I think the funny thing is, you know, the the initial fuss was, will people blow the lot on the mythical sports car and all of that? And will people be reckless and profligate? And I think what people always forgot is that anybody who's built up a serious pension pot, on the whole isn't the mad spendthrift who, you know, blows the lot. On the whole, they tend to be the more cautious, the people who are willing to sacrifice a bit now for a bit in the future. And so once you've got somebody who's got a pot of money, if they take advice, the FCA on the whole are very positive about the outcomes. You know, almost the first sentence of the Retirement Outcomes Review said this is a document about non-advised people. And there, it's the other end of the scale that's the worry, as you say. It's about people taking the whole lot because what they really want is the tax-free cash. They don't know what to do with the rest, so they're buying it in a cash ISA, or they go into the drawdown that their provider happens to offer. And again, that can have cash as an underlying investment. And The only one thing I would say is, in the past, if you got it wrong at retirement and got the wrong annuity or a poor annuity, you were locked in for life. At least if you've made a poor decision and you're stuck in cash, there's plenty of time to do something about it. Mm. 
I guess, Al, a lot of the people that you have dealt with through your work on, on British Steel are sort of people who don't really, well, normal people don't really understand much about pensions. And is, is there, do the, 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 do the pension freedoms pose problems for people like that? I don't think they look upon it as pension freedoms. Um, genuinely, I don't. I think these are people who, for whom the, the height of financial sophistication may have been a cash either for a couple of thousand pounds each year. And I don't think they really understand what they've got in terms of pension freedoms. I think many of them don't even realise that before, four or five years ago, they, they didn't have so many options. I just think they have this money on a plate, and they don't look upon it as a problem with pension freedoms. They look upon it, or the people I know here, look upon it as a problem with Tata Steel. And they look upon it as a problem with advice, and they look upon it as a problem as, right, how do I look after this money for the future? So for these guys, it's more a problem with not having access to good advice as having pension freedoms compared to life before pension freedoms. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of talk about um, product innovation and, and, and whether there should be any product innovation. There's this sort of, often that people talk about this mythical third-way product between drawdowns and mm. annuities, uh, which hasn't really sort of manifested itself in a serious way. Al, as, a, as an advisor, do you feel that you're, you're, you're hobbled in your day-to-day business by the lack of a, of a third-way product? Not really. Um, as I speak with you, there are four steel workers in the room next to me talking about um, their third-way product into which they were sold from, from their BSPS um, pension. Um, it hasn't worked out for them, so I don't think it's a question of whether or not I, as an advisor, am hobbled. I think... As an advisor, there is nothing wrong whatsoever with having an either-or situation. You can you can speak to a client and say, right, you are now 50 years old. Why not go into drawdown? Why not enjoy pension freedoms to the full? But bear in mind, in three or four or five or six or ten years' time, think about having an annuity because the last thing you are going to want at age 70 is having somebody like me coming around and talking to you about guilt yields. So I don't think there need be... We need to be hobbled by the fact that there aren't any survey products. I think we just have to advise people properly and and compared to or, or, or in a pro- mm-hmm. appropriately to, to what they need, I suppose. And uh, I know Steve's aware of this, but the, the Ford Pension Scheme had partial transfers, and I think that was potentially a very good idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve, do you think... Um uh, third-way products are likely in any way? or Well, in a sense, there are already shades of grey, as it were. So if I want to go into drawdown, there's a whole range of, for example, risk-rated products I can go into. So if I want you know, something that's not an annuity but is a lot closer in underlying investment, those, those products are available. If I want something a bit more exotic, that's available. So there is also you know, this kind of constant thirst for the new. I sometimes think, well, actually, you know, the pro- there already were drawdown products out there meeting a lot of people's needs. appreciate they weren't generally aimed at the smaller pots and that might be regarded as a gap but for me actually the best innovation would be a legal innovation which said that you could take your tax-free cash and leave the rest effectively where it is because what I think a lot of people do is they realize there's an age at which they can access tax-free cash they want to get their hands on that money and then they're left with this 75 percent they don't know what to do with it so they're then very cautious whereas if they could just leave it behind let it be invested in the way it would have gone on being invested in the pension then that would have reduced the risk of being in cash negative real returns and all of that so if I could change one thing I'd probably change the law around accessing just your tax-free cash. And you touched on tax-free cash there. Um, what uh, do you feel the, um, the the key tax implications are that um, advisors and their clients should bear in mind from, uh, as a result of pension freedoms? Well, I do think that there's a, a sort of continuing scandal of HMRC 
operating on a principle of tax first and ask questions afterwards. So, you know, we've had uh, customers at Royal London who've wanted to take out a lump sum, let's say, for the sake of argument, 10,000 quid for a kitchen. And they thought, well, I better add on a bit more because there'll be some tax, basic rate tax. So they've taken out, let's say, 12 and a half. We come along, apply emergency taxes we're required to do. We suddenly give them I'll invent a number, 7,000 or something, and they suddenly say, well, I can't pay my kitchen bill. So they then come back to us for another withdrawal to make up for the shortfall on the tax and then fill in one of three different forms to get the tax back that they shouldn't have had to pay in the first place. Well, that's a nonsense. Um, HMRC, in my view, should just deduct standard rate tax from everybody from all of these withdrawals and then adjust that through the tax return so high rate taxpayers pay the extra through the tax return small number of non-taxpayers yeah okay claim a refund but that would get it right for most people most of the time i think mm-hmm. Alan, what do you think i think it's i think the current system's torturous i've had two clients very recently who've wanted to go into drawdown and they've been in practically the same situation that steve has just mentioned and thereafter they're playing catch-up it's almost like a yo-yo Right, okay, I've got too little cash. I I should take some more cash out. And they just don't know where they are. I just think, why can't it be far more simple? Why does it have to be so complicated? It's crazy. Steve, do you think there's much prospect of this changing? I I think there's always a problem. I mean, I I think HMRC, and I say this having just filled in my tax return, but HMRC are my least favourite government department. Um, Partly... They're so busy, I mean, genuinely busy with all the Brexit stuff and customs arrangements and all of that. So their capacity is limited. But they are, I think because they have the sort of statutory force and they can lock us all up and all that kind of stuff, they seem to be a law unto themselves. So any criticism is brushed off. So the Office of Tax Simplification said this needed to be looked at. HMRC looked at it, marked their own homework, said we're doing a very good job here, go away. And it's like they're answerable to nobody. So there are so many things that HMRC could fix, you know, the, the net pay anomaly for the low paid. I've got a whole shopping list that, frankly, I'd like them to address. And once they've able to focus on these issues, I think it's time they sorted them out. Who would uh, you have liked to have locked up while you were at uh, the DWP? <laughs> I'll save that one for my memoirs, I think. <laughs> um, OK, and Alan, are there any particular sort of what's your, if you had to sort of, from a tax point of view, if there was one sort of, if you had... One uh, one wish that could be fulfilled. What would it be from this from pension? I would, think, I, I would I would just like to have simplification, genuinely simplification. Steve hit the nail on the head. I think all advisors would agree with that. Just tax at the basic rate, and anything else can get sorted out in the in the, the end of year self assessment. Mm-hmm. I just for the life of me, I just cannot see why it has to be so complicated. Mm. It just makes life so torturous. I have clients who will spend probably an hour on it, and they have not got a clue. It is as simple to have it as as easy and straightforward as it is to have it complicated. I just cannot see the justification of having it as it is. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, you, you touched on your um, your work with the British Steel scheme and, and you mentioned that you're in Port Albert at the moment. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that the DB transfer hype is slowing down or not? Oh, difficult question. I know that there is a lot of activity that's still going on. I think that there is, just in relation to Port Talbot, there is a lot more news that will surely be coming out. And I think, whereas the transfer activity may have slowed down due to the activity of guilt yields, etc., I think we are going to see a lot more in the news of it in the months, in the possibly the, the year coming. I think advisors are now not doing so much because they are so risk-averse, but mainly, I think the biggest problem is because they can't get insurance to do it. And, and insurance is, is the crippling thing in this. So on one hand, we've got pension freedoms, which give people the opportunity, the capability, and possibly the intent to do these things. But there's not the means to do it because, A, there aren't the advisors out there, and B, the advisors don't want to do it, and C, 
they don't have the means to be insured because insurance is too expensive or insurance is just withheld. Mm. So really, the whole system has broken down. And that's probably one unintended consequence of what's happened post-pension freedoms. Mm. So to what extent do you think that the what's happened uh, there is, is caused by pension freedoms? And I should remind you, Steve Webb's listening. <laughs> I think mainly it has been caused by pension freedoms. I think people could have done a lot. You know, they could have transferred out before. We know that. But people just weren't as aware of it as they were before. And I think transfer values suddenly rocketed. Um, it became a lot more sexy to do lots more different things with your pensions. Um, and people became more attracted to the idea of doing it. The reasons why they needed access to the money were, were many and varied, I suppose. People wanted to pass on money to their children because they could do, which they couldn't do before. Uh, I think it just opened up the market to it. I think where we have gone wrong is we opened... It's almost as if we reduced the legal drinking age to, say, 15 or 16, but we didn't educate people 15 or 16 years old about the consequences of, of having a, a liver that was not for, for purpose or or for whatever the social consequences. We gave them these freedoms, we gave them the ability. There's a brave new world, it's fantastic that they could, they could do all this stuff, but they just weren't ready for it, and I don't think the system in many ways was ready for it either. Mm. Steve, would you like to comment on that? Well, I, I certainly agree with Al that, that for advisors, it is getting more expensive to advise on transfers. I think the FCA have behaved badly in terms of raising the FOS limit and the impact on the advice cost and the advice market. So when they consulted on raising the financial ombudsman scheme limit, they thought that about £2,000 a year, 2,000 people a year, sorry, with big claims might benefit. When they published their results of the consultation, they admitted they got it four times over. So only about 500 people a year were going to benefit but they were still happy to go ahead with the risk, in their own words, of a thousand advisors being driven out of the transfer market. And they make out that that's just, you know, the slightly dodgy advisors at the one end of the risk scale. But I know, and I'm sure Al knows, of perfectly good transfer advisors who are proud of what they do, do a good professional mm. job, who are simply pulling out. And that can't be in the consumer's interest. Mm-hmm. I think I think as, as well with that, Steve, the fact that we say there can be a thousand good transfer advisors pulling out of the market, yeah, that's bad news for the advisor and for the employees, but also means that if they have, if each advisor has a hundred clients who are in drawdown, yeah. then we have a hundred clients for each of those thousand advisors who no longer have access to advice, potentially, and and, and it's the client that they should be about. Mm-hmm. And there are lots of very good transfer advisors out there. We just tend to focus on the bad ones, and it's not good. Steve, uh, knowing what you know now in terms of the um, issues that have been relating to DB transfers, would you have done anything differently during uh, when you sort of set out on, on the pension freedoms journey? I, th- I certainly think that the volume of DB transfers post-pension freedoms was bigger than people foresaw, and there's no question about that. You, you can see that in the tax forecast they put out at the time. And for me, I think the trustees have a lot to answer for in, in many of these cases. You know, the, the, the members don't know where to go for advice. They don't know the difference between a good advisor and a bad advisor. The trustees in some DB schemes are very actively involved. You know, they will either have a, a panel of high-quality vetted advisors or they'll point someone in the direction of advice and that way I think you you have standards and safeguards but I think some trustees are either so disengaged or so risk averse they just leave the members throw them to the winds really uh, and that that's where the problems have come so for me with hindsight I think a stronger duty on trustees once transfer business gets going would have helped to provide more protection. How old do you think? I think well funnily enough I got approached this morning by the trustees of FTSE 100 company and the trustees are engaging in an exercise 
to dis- to discuss how they should be engaging with the scheme members and they want to know better how to serve how to look after these people and that's got to be a good thing yeah. um, i think if you have trustees who actively engage with the process you want to look after these people from retirement right to the point where they need nursing care or whether they die that's fantastic that's what it should all be about i think when you have trustees who are quite cynically looking to shed their responsibilities and just engage in a cost-saving exercise then that isn't so good but i agree completely with steve on that i think we have to bolster the responsibilities that are placed on the shoulders of trustees and i think we saw in the news today um, there were some trustees who got fined £104,000, I think. I um, can't remember the scheme, but it was certainly in the papers this morning. Mm. Any final comments from anyone uh, before you wrap up? I guess the only other thing I'd say is, you know, uh, we always know that bad bad news makes the news, don't we? And yeah. what yeah. the voice that you never really hear, I mean, I hear it anecdotally individually, is the thousands and thousands of people who've taken advantage of pension freedoms, very happy that they did, and are off enjoying enjoying their retirement and I do think so for example when the FCA published figures on the percentage of advice that was unsuitable and I chaired a conference the other day and an FCA spokesman put up a slide and one of the bullet points was 50% of transfer advice unsuitable well that's simply not true it's focusing on the advisors that they're worried about and they look at the question you know advisors where they're investigating because they're concerned and if there are problems and nobody doubts there are problems but if you if you ignore all the cases where things have gone well people have had good advice it's not surprising you get a distorted picture so I do think in all of this inevitably the bad news stories come out but it would be a shame if what's very positive for an awful lot of people was curtailed in a significant way because of things that have gone wrong let's let's crack down on what's got wrong but let's preserve the principle of freedom mm. okay. and the question is how to do it isn't it that's the thing yeah i think it's been it's been a certainly great opening act and we just have to bolster or reinforce what we've learned so far um, and if necessary, make the changes. I think I think we do have to make changes. I think I think what Steve brought in was great. It, it's liberated retirement for so many people. It's transformed the final third of their lives. But now I think we can modify it and move on to a Mark II version. Mm-hmm. I think this is going to be a topic of discussion for at least another four years. Thank you very much, both for your time. Uh, thank you, Steve. Thank you, Al. Thank and you. thank you, everybody, for tuning in. And uh, hopefully you'll uh, tune in again soon. Thank you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.